Well, welcome to uh, our service this morning. I want to say thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Revelation chapter 9 together as we continue our series entitled Hope in a Hopeless World. You know, as I was preparing for uh, this week's message, I've kind of sat back and thought about some difficult times that we as a nation have gone through just in uh, my lifetime. Uh, This isn't the first time that our nation has faced difficult times. You know, there are events such as September 11th, 2001, Hurricane Katrina, uh, the recession there in 2009. Uh, There's been multiple episodes of political unrest and civil unrest. And what I get thinking about is that each time that there's been an event that's happened, there's been a pattern that's developed. And the pattern is something like this. Uh, We reach a, a new low in sinfulness, and so God sends a judgment. We change as a nation for a time, but then that pattern starts over again. Now, by the way, we're not alone in this. Uh, If you were to read the book of Judges in the Old Testament, that's the exact pattern that you see. Uh, The problem then in in Judges, and even the time now, is this, that the time of crying out to God seems to be getting shorter and shorter with each successive crisis. When COVID-19 hit, we saw a small change, maybe for a time, and many wondered, is this going to be what it takes for the nation to turn back to God? Yet, uh, before it it was even over, we saw that no real lasting change had taken place. No one's crying out to God. I I can't help but wonder, how long is it going to take until we reach the point where people don't even think about God in the middle of a crisis. How close are we to no longer hearing God's warnings because we have become so numb to sin and judgment? Today we're, we're going to look at Revelation 9 and 16, and they describe the same time period just in, in different uh, details. They're describing the spiritual war that's come to earth. What we're going to see today is what I believe is the second saddest statement ever recorded in history. And uh, The one big thing is that the call of God is for sinners to repent while there's still time. So let's look at it. Revelation chapter 9, beginning in verse uh, 20. It says, And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of, their, not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear or walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity to study your word. Lord, as we continue to look at what's going on around us in our nation, God, I pray that our hearts would be softened, that we would hear your voice calling out to us. Uh, 
And that, Lord, we would not only confess of our sins, but that we would repent of them. That we might have a right relationship with you. That we would be restored to a right relationship should our sin have broken it. But God, ultimately, that the lost would be saved. Thank you for your patience and your grace. We just pray, God, that as a result of that, more people will come and become a part of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, our one big thing is that the call of God is for sinners to repent while there is still time. So let's just kind of talk about what's going on on earth in Revelation chapter 9. You can see there the situation on earth is that things are bad and they're getting worse. By the time we get to the events described in Revelation 9, we're into the second set of judgments known as the trumpet judgments. So what we see, uh, really the, the death of the dream of a utopian society. You know, there was a time even in our nation in which many uh, theologians believed that the world would get better and better uh, up until the return of Jesus. Uh, maybe you're wondering what kind of made that thought process disappear. Uh, it was 19. 19- 41, it was the Holocaust. It was Adolf Hitler. You know, the Antichrist is going to come onto the scene and people are going to look at him as this great hope and, you know, this uniter of people and all of these things. But by the time we get to the events of Revelation 9, uh, this utopian, uh, this idea of utopian society is really going to die out because people are going to see. Um, Things aren't getting better. Uh, Things are actually getting worse. In Revelation 9 verse 6, it it actually says that things are so bad that people actually want to die. Like they are desperate to escape the things that are happening all around them. You know, one thing that I feared and one thing that's actually happening right now um, in in the midst of all the lockdowns and, and all of this is the extreme isolation of people. And with that has come great loneliness and depression and suffering to where we're seeing the, the rate of suicide or attempted suicide is, is going up. And this is, I mean, this is kind of a, a watered-down uh, version of what the world is going to see by the time we get to Revelation 9. In Revelation 9, John uses a title in reference to to Satan. In Greek, it's Apollon. And this is not only talking about Satan, but it's really a reference to the human ruler that's empowered by Satan. The ruler in John's day was Domitian. Now, Domitian's favorite false god was Apollo. You know, Greek mythology. Therefore, John is most likely referring to Domitian uh, when he is talking here about Apollon or Abaddon. Uh, you know, it's the one uh, being empowered by Satan to persecute the church. 
you know, th- this is just a reminder that what's happening on earth is really that spiritual war that has now come to earth. And as bad as things were in John's day, certainly they've gotten worse in our day. And yet, unfortunately, they're going to get worse. Not only was and will the church face persecution uh, from political leaders, but we also see in Revelation 9, uh, there's this large army that's going to start to head towards Jerusalem in these last days, and they, they're going to want to wage war. This is literally the forces of hell coming to war against God and his people. And it's going to just leave a path of destruction in, in their wake. Now, on top of the political and and military persecution, we see how bad uh, people are really getting in verses 20 and 21. You know, the root of all all sin is idolatry. It is taking God off of his throne and placing ourselves or someone or something else on it. We see a very interesting word there in verse 21. It's the word sorceries. Now, when you hear the words, you probably think about witchcraft and casting spells and, and things like that. However, the word that's used here in the Greek is actually where we get the English word pharmacy. It's a reference to, to drugs. What we see here is one of the ways that people often try to cope with pain suffering and difficulties of life instead of dealing with it they seek to numb themselves to uh, the pain now certainly john is referencing uh, drugs but there are a lot of other ways that people try to numb themselves to pain it, it could be alcohol drugs pornography uh, workaholism overeating and the list just goes on and on but it really leads me to ask us a question this morning How do you deal with life when it gets difficult? How do you handle the pain that life so often brings? Paul in Ephesians 5 would would also show that we either deal with it by turning to God and trusting Him or we turn to the ways of the world. One of them is choosing fear, and the other is choosing faith. So, what is it for you when when life gets difficult? Who do you turn to? What do you turn to? As bad as things are, and I mean, clearly you can read in Revelation 9, things are bad. Things are, are getting worse. But I want us to see some hope here. Because as bad as things are, God is still giving people on earth at that time time to repent. All right, God is still showing grace to a world that is rejecting Him. You know, I look at the events of this world the world around us right now and no we're not living in the time of uh, revelation 9 and i don't want you to think that but uh, we're, we're kind of getting a picture or a preview of it and i think about as bad as things are in the world 
yet God is still uh, giving grace. He is still being patient and giving time for people to come and turn from their sins and, and to be saved. And we need to praise God for that. He is still giving people time. Now, how do we know that? Well, we know it um, here in Revelation. We know it because between the first two sets of judgments, the seals and the, the trumpets, there's a break between some of them. And they're partial judgments. You know, a third of this, a tenth of that, a quarter. And so I want us to understand that, yes, things are bad. Yes, things are getting worse. Yes, they're going to get worse. But it's, it's also an act of God's grace because he's trying to reveal the idols in our lives and in our world. And he is trying to call us out of our idolatry into a faith in the living God who can give us hope and joy and peace. As bad as COVID-19 has been and, and the many other things that we have gone through as a nation, we need to understand that God is still gracious and good and he is giving us time you know one of the greatest uh, verses of encouragements found in second peter chapter 3 verse 9 it says the lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but he's long-suffering toward us not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance god is patient because he desires people to be saved But church, we cannot misunderstand. We cannot take for granted God's grace or his patience. Because if we looked at Revelation 9 and 16, what it reveals is what I call the second saddest statement in the Bible. They would not repent. We see that statement three different times in Revelation 9 and Revelation 16. Despite how bad things are, as much as people would prefer to die than to go through another day on earth, they still refuse to turn from their sin and turn in faith to God. Not, not only uh, do they refuse to turn to God, but a lot of what we see later on in Revelation 16 is that they start to blame God. You see, they've been so deceived by this Antichrist, and now they're paying a high price for it. Revelation 16 and verse 9 says, And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. So they're refusing to turn from their sin, and instead they're going, God, this is your fault. And listen, I mean, it's happening even today. Have you ever heard somebody go, well, if God is so loving, then why does he allow bad things to happen? Listen, that, that's just the same phrasing, just, that's the same question, just phrased differently. Robert Meltz said, quote, once the heart is set in its hostility toward God, not even the scourge of death will lead people to repentance. When we become so hardened and so deceived by our sin, not even God judging us will 
wake us up. I mean, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? I mean, let's just, if we were to add up the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments, okay? We're talking approximately one half of the world's population has died. Yet the people blame God and refuse to accept any responsibility for, for what's going on. This is the, the greatest, or one of the greatest problems in society right now, is nobody wants to take responsibility for their mess. You know, we, we talk about drug addiction and alcoholism and, and things like that, and one of the most dangerous things that's happened in our lifetime is that it, they are being labeled as a disease. Now, if it's a disease, then I bear no personal responsibility. If it's a disease, then I can go to somebody, you know, a doctor, and they could help and, and fix me up. The problem is, it's not a disease. It reveals the depravity of man. It reveals our sinfulness. See, all alcoholism or pornography, drug addiction, or, or these things, all they are, are a, is a way that we rebel against the grace of God by trying to either fix it ourselves or to numb ourselves to the pain. Instead of turning to the only one who can help us, we are continuing to reject him by choosing these things over God. It's not a disease. Sin shows the depth of our rebellion and our rejection against God. It reminds me of what former pastor of First Baptist Church Dallas, W.A. Criswell, said, quote, One of the strangest things about the human nature is that man has not been changed because of punishment. He may desist evil because he is afraid but his heart is still evil he would do evil if he could get by with it a man is really changed only by the gospel you know there's so many applications that we can talk about through this But the reality for us is that what we need more than anything is to be changed by the gospel. The answer for everything that is going on in the world around us is not more laws. It's, it's not you know, new politicians. It's the gospel that is the only thing that is going to change the course in the life of Americans and us as a nation. And this church is what we have to be proclaiming. And so in light of what we're seeing, what are we to do today? The first and most important call of this text is to repent now. 
If you're here today, if you're listening to this podcast and you have never surrendered your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, then I want to urge you, turn from your sin today and be saved. The only answer that will give you hope and bring you joy in this life and the life to come is not trying harder. It's not trying something different. But rather it's surrendering to the grace of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you believe that you're saved but your life hasn't changed from before you were supposedly saved, I'm, I'm going to call you to repent of your sin and actually be saved today. Now, I want you to, to hear this. Coming to church doesn't prove that you're a Christian any more than going to a garage would make you a mechanic. Jesus shows us in Matthew 7 that there are going to be many people who believe that they're saved when in fact they aren't. To repent means to have a change of mind which leads to a, a change in action. And it's true, Jesus loves you and he will meet you where you are. You don't have to you know, clean yourself up or anything like that. What you have to do is understand your sinfulness and your rebellion against God and receive God's grace and that faith to trust that what Jesus did on the cross is the only way that you can be saved and the only way that you are going to be changed and that your life is going to be changed. But please hear me on this. That yes, God will meet you where you are, but He loves you too much and He is too jealous for His holy name to leave you as you are. Salvation is more than just raising your hand or repeating a prayer. Don't believe the lies of Satan that as long as you pray a prayer, that that you're good. Because when the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, He is going to transform your heart, which is going to transform your life. And so if there has not been meaningful change in your life, then repent now, today, and be saved. Don't wait. Don't believe the lies. But what about those who are here today? What about those who are genuinely saved? What what are we to do? We need to call others to repent. We have been given a call and a commission to make disciples of all nations. And that begins by calling the unsaved to repent, by teaching the truth of their condition without Christ. Paul says that they are dead in their sins. They are without help and without hope unless they surrender to the grace of God and the gospel. We call them to repentance through sharing the gospel lovingly and intentionally. You know, at a minimum, if we want to demonstrate our love for God and our love for others, then we're going to share the gospel. To to not share the gospel isn't loving somebody. Listen, I know... There are a lot of people who don't want to hear it. There are a lot of people who are going to be very offended by this message, and that's okay. Because the Bible says 
that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who perish, but we do it because we trust in a loving, gracious, sovereign God that as we proclaim the truth of the gospel, Isaiah 55 says that it goes out and it will not return void, but it will accomplish what God desires it to. So let me ask you a question. Who's your one? Who is the person you know right now that they are not saved? Will you commit to pray for them every day starting today? Pray that God softens their heart. Pray that God gives you or maybe somebody else the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Pray that God gives you the courage and the boldness to actually do it. Who is your one? If we don't share the gospel, then people are going to be called unaware of God's coming judgment. And they're going to die having never heard the glorious truth of His grace and of His desire to save. See, there's one statement worse than what we saw three times in the text today. If they refuse to repent, it will lead to the saddest statement recorded in Scripture. And Jesus said it in Matthew 7. He said, depart from me, for I never knew you. Hell is a reality. It's something that has been uh, lost, unfortunately, much in Christian uh, Christian circles and pulpits these days. But just because it may not be taught on doesn't mean it, do- it isn't real. But it doesn't have to be your reality. Because in His grace, God sent His Son living a sinless life to lay it down as your substitute on the cross. That Jesus' death and the shedding of His blood was all that is necessary and required for you to be forgiven of your sins, for God's wrath against your sin to be dealt with. The question is, what are you going to do in response to what you have heard today? Will you be like the people in Revelation and continue to blame God and refuse to repent? Or will you allow God to soften your heart that you might confess that you've been rejecting Him, but today you surrender to Him, that today would be that day of salvation? Church, are we going to continue to go on and live as though we've always lived, do ministry the way we've always done ministry and allow more and more people to die without hearing the gospel? We may not be able to do much about the 
4 billion people on earth who have never heard the gospel. But we can do something about that one that's around us, that family member maybe, co-worker, neighbor, person on, on your kid's sports team or their parents or whatever. So what are we going to do in light of what we know is coming and in light of what we know God desires to do? How will we respond? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity just to, to study your word. And God, I pray for every person who is here, every person who is going to hear this message. Lord, if they have, if they have never trusted in you, if they've never turned from their sin and surrendered to your grace, God, I pray that to date, right now, God, they would just begin crying out from their heart to you. It's not about the words that they say. It's about the, it's about the attitude of their heart, God. And Lord, I can't see anybody's heart. I, I can't know where they are with you. Father, I pray that Satan would no longer deceive them especially those who believe that they are saved when in fact they are not. Lord, would your Holy Spirit speak, draw, and save. But God, I pray that you would also move in the hearts and the lives of, of your church, that we would wake up to the reality of life, that we have a calling, There are people who need to hear the gospel today. And if we don't share it, then no one else is. So Lord, move in your church. Bring us to repentance. Help us to love you so much that we want to obey you and we can't help but obey you that you would be glorified and that your kingdom would be built. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.